Hi, Simon Hill here. Enjoy our podcast. If you'd like to help us keep delivering the sort of quality football chat you want, then you can show your support by making a donation. Big or small, however much you can afford, we appreciate all your help and every cent will be ploughed back into improving production. Thanks in advance from all of us at Shim, Spider and so much more. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So much more. Take it away, fellas. Yes, hello again, and welcome along to Shim Spider and So Much More, episode 16, How Time Flies, and another bumper show coming up today in the company of two of Australia's golden generation, Zelko Kellatz and Craig Moore. And we're going to be joined by a third in Tony Vidmar for our final segment. So good to see you, boys. Maury, story in the Daily Record this week that you tried to get Mark Baduka to sign for Rangers back in the day. There's a turn up. Mate, and true true story. It was a it was a three part series um, leading into the old firms uh, stuff uh, here in the Daily Record. But yeah, and I, I sent my agent John Viola over to to see Dukes in Croatia all those years ago to see if there was any interest from the big man um, to come to Scotland. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't get the 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 interest from Rangers that that particular time. Um, but hey, that was a miss in the end because we yeah. know what what. Big man went on to, to go and do and what a career he had. Absolutely. Um, I can't believe I can't believe Maury pushed to get a player and he couldn't get it across the line. Spider, your former club, Sydney United, were in grand final action this weekend in the MPL New South Wales and they won a thriller. Mate, how good was it? Seriously, I, I was up at the crack of dawn here watching it on MPL TV live and Mate, just the emotions. I was kicking every ball. It was an unbelievable game. Uh, credit to both teams for putting on a showpiece like that. Was it against Rockdale? Yeah, against Rockdale. They put on a great, great game. It rained. There was crowd there. There was support. It was, it was you know what, end-to-end stuff more. You didn't know who was going to win. Went all the way down to penalty shootout. And you know what? Uh, United finally got the joy they deserved. And, and due credit to them, the boys were fantastic this year. They played an attacking brand of football, goals for fun. And to see those supporters jump the field, run on like the old days, and just celebrate with the team. And I'll tell you what, Maury, the party back at King Tom would have been huge. Uh, and just to, just to close off on that, Spides, uh, a round of applause, mate, because I know how influential you were in terms of your, your push to make sure that this MPL season actually was carried out because we know that the Federation was, was humming and hiring. So well done with that. Yeah, thanks, Maury. And I, I, think, um, I think, you know, once again, we've spoken about football people making calls on certain things and helping develop the game. Uh, just to see the MPL uh, get played this year and to see the support they had and the games that were played, it was a credit to everyone. And hopefully now the second division, they can see that a second division can really happen in Australia. Yep. Congrats uh, to Sydney United and to you, Spider. And I can tell you, it's still raining heavily in Sydney this morning. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Lots to get through this week. So let's get started with Simon Says. Simon Says. 
Well, this week, a story I posted on Twitter caused a bit of a brouhaha. On Thursday, I was invited by ABC Adelaide to contribute to a discussion around the Women's World Cup, specifically to respond to Labour's Shadow Minister for Sports, Katrina Hildyard, and her proposal to have Adelaide Oval as the South Australian venue for the tournament, rather than Highmarsh. Now, as many might have guessed, I'm a Labour man to my core, and I understand that this, in part, is a political point-scoring exercise given that the Liberal administration has pledged a measly $3 million to upgrade Highmarsh, a slap in the face for football if ever there was one, given the $460 million invested in Adelaide Oval, largely for AFL and cricket. But the issue here, as I mentioned on the pod a few weeks ago, is that this talk is dangerous for football. In 2000, the Gabba in Brisbane was redeveloped on the back of hosting football for the Sydney Olympics. Did football benefit from that? Did it help? Highmarsh did get a 30 million upgrade as a host venue for that event, but the tenant clubs at the time were actually asked to repay some of that via a ticket levy. This is how football gets treated. Hosting Women's World Cup games at Adelaide Oval would no doubt draw in bigger crowds and make more money, but what legacy would it leave for football in South Australia? A big fat zero. Highmarsh is the home of football in that state. The stadium is much loved by fans around the country but it is in desperate need of renovation. I understand it's tightly hemmed in by housing and an arterial road, but at the very least, putting new roofs on a couple of the stands really shouldn't be that difficult to provide a little protection from the sun or the rain. Now, football is used to feeding off scraps in this country. We are an afterthought, an add-on in most capital cities, and we know we aren't the main game in town, and we're not asking for $460 million. But as I stated this week, This is a Football World Cup. Yes, part of the legacy for the tournament will be for women and girls in sport, increasing participation and gender equality. But it is football that must also benefit from the bringing of global dollars and global attention to this country, including, if selected, Adelaide. If the government isn't prepared to spend the necessary dollars to provide the sort of facilities needed for a World Cup and for the benefit of Adelaide United, men's and women's, don't forget for the next 20 years, then I'm sorry, but in my opinion, Adelaide misses out. The South Australian government were lukewarm about this tournament to start off with, saying Highmarsh was too small and that using Adelaide Oval would disrupt the AFL. you got to laugh. They doubled back on that after a public backlash, but the issue remains Highmarsh, which FFA confirmed this week, remains the venue on the bid list and their preference. This is the quote from Sports Minister Corey Wingard in June. If we can bump in the corners of Highmarsh, which we've done before, we can make it into the perfect little boutique stadium that we think will be a big winner for the Women's World Cup. Agreed. But what happens after? What about putting roofs on the stands? What about the legacy for the next generation? In 2017, Val Miliarcho reported in the Advertiser that South Australia had 34,000 kids registered as playing the game among 55,700 overall, and that some clubs were having to turn away kids because they couldn't cope with demand. The biggest increase is among women and girls. Therefore, for a Women's World Cup, it is football that should see the benefits of investment, not Aussie rules or cricket. So do the right thing, SA government. It's football's time. All right, let's move on to hard talk. Hard Talk. Hard Talk is brought to you by Streamgate, which has been live streaming since 2008, specialising in custom-built stream pages, pay-per-view and multi-language streaming. They can cater to large online conferences with multiple simultaneous streams and destinations, including all social media channels servicing clients Australia-wide. Go to streamgate.com.au or find them on Instagram. All right, boys, first topic up for debate today, uh, the scrapping of the friendlies involving the Socceroos against England and USA in November, plus a training camp for the Matildas in Europe as well. Uh, Right decision, in your opinion, Spider? Look, I don't know if it's a right decision, but I'm not surprised by it uh, at all with the situation around the world. uh, Players being all over the place, it just would have been very difficult to get everyone in there to play those games. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's right or wrong. I just think it's circumstances. Maury, um, the Socceroos have not played since November 2019. Uh, the Matildas' last one was in March against Vietnam to qualify for the Olympics. 
Here's your, your quiz question for today. When was the last time the Socceroos went a calendar year without a full international? Mate, um, I should know this. I was actually... Because I remember looking through my profile once and, go, and seeing a year or two where <laughs> one, one game spikes, there was no, no game at all. And maybe the following season year, there was, there was one game. But I'm guessing I debuted in 95. So I don't know. I'm going for, for 90, 96, 97. <laughs> the, the answer is 1999. Um, Australia played a couple of B internationals, including that famous game against Manchester United at, uh, to, to open the yeah. Sydney Olympic uh, Park complex. Um, but they didn't actually play a full international that year. So um, first time in 21 years that there'll be no uh, full international for the Socceroos this year. Talking of the national team, um, a lot of talk that Graham Arnold was was about to, to leave the job to join FC Seoul, which has been quickly doused by the club and coach. Is this, uh, is this a little bit of agent talk, do we think? Or was, or was it uh, serious? A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> Fucking please. <laughs> Wait, what do they say? Yeah, so any publicity is good publicity. Uh, look, I mean, Graham Arnold, uh, national team coach, um, mate, but he's, he's said it um, all the time. He's a coach that loves to be on the ground day in, day out. As a national team coach, uh, that doesn't happen. And with the, the amount of time that we haven't had a game for, I, I, I know he'll be extremely frustrated. But, um, yeah, no, it was, I'm sure, just to make sure that his profile's bubbling away, Simon. Yeah. Indeed. Just, just so people know that he's still around, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, we hope that the Newcastle Jets are still going to be around. Um, still no news as to whether they're, they're going to be bought out by a new consortium. And uh, more trouble at the mill this week with Stephen Ugarkovich saying he wants to leave the club. He doesn't want to be part of another rebuild. And Bernie Abini saying that he wants to go as well because his, his re-signing was on the understanding that Carl Robinson... Uh, was going to be the coach. And, of course, Robinson has now left the club to join Western Sydney Wanderers. Um, interesting one, this one. Maura, you and I had a bit of a discussion about this uh, via text message, whether it's it's right for players to say, well, I'm only staying if if it's a certain coach at the club. I know you have a contrary view. Go on. No, I mean, look, you're, you're right, So I mean, contracts... I mean, it's got to, it can't just work for the player or it can't just work for the club. I mean, a contract is a contract. So I guess the only way that you can make sure, you know, for, for Bernie Abini's situation, which is more about the coach uh, from, from what I'd read, well, if he had a clause in his contract that, uh, you know, it's in black and white and, and clearly states that, then there's, there's no issue. So, look, uh, that's down to, you know, how important contracts can be and, and the special clauses. Not great times for Newcastle Jets. We want to see them uh, with a new owner in place. And the uncertainty for everybody involved is it, it, it can be damaging. You know, Simon players are looking to potentially get out because they don't know what's happening. Spider? Yeah, look, it's a scary one. Uh, players demanding to leave because the coach goes... I contracts almost don't even count anymore, do they, in the A-League? And it's it's crazy. I don't know what's going on. I, I hope, like Maury said, I hope Newcastle can find a solution because they're very important if the A-League's going to keep going forward. Um, I heard Laurie McKenna's coaching the team at the moment, which I find in, incredible. Um, <laughs> he's CEO manager, youth team coach, I think we need to bring a little bit of uh, normality back to football. Professionalism as well, Spider. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I guess in, in Laurie's defence, uh, A, obviously he's coached before, but, but B, I, I doubt he's probably got the ability to be able to bring in a new coach and pay them, uh, organise a contract with, without knowing who the next owners are going to be because, you know, clearly as we said before, Martin leaves. He's not putting any money into the club at the moment. So how, how does he pay a new coach? It's almost yeah, I know, but it's pretty pretty hard to take the club seriously if you've got your CEO as the head coach at the moment. Like, it's, it's quite embarrassing for the league, to be honest with you. Um, MacArthur FC, uh, new boys on the block, of course, made their debut, their first ever game against the Camden Tigers on Sunday. I was, I was a little bit disappointed this game wasn't broadcast via a live stream. You, you only get one chance to play your first ever match. Um, apparently, Ante Milicic didn't want it. Um, <laughs> wanted to keep things close to his chest. But, uh, but, but good to see that they're up and running, at least. Yeah, well, I yeah. think... 
sorry, Spides, I'll jump in first here. Oh, look, I've I seen Vince Rigari do, do a report on the, on the occasion, Simon, and um, I think it was a 6-0 six, six result. And, and after halftime, Ante brought off all the contracted players and gave trialists and, and what have you their, their opportunity. Um, look, they've obviously had their reasons why they've not shown it. Uh, would it, be, it would be great for, you know, for people to have seen it, but they've had their reasons. Um, a story on FTBL this week, Spider, regarding uh, the Marconi Stallions, a club I know you know very well, um, their, their coach, Peter Sakinis. They've lost 10 players to A-League clubs uh, this week. Big, big tick for their development uh, as a club, but they've not received a single cent in compensation. Now, now, we know that the FFA are working on implementing this domestic transfer system, which is good, but really it can't come soon enough, can it? I mean, that, that, that can't be right that a club just loses almost an entire team without a cent in return. Yeah, so I, I could hear in, the, in your voice there how you just can't believe it, Simon, but <laughs> this is what's happening to the, all the MPL teams and I think they're all jumping up and down. Mark Anier has always developed great players and to lose them without getting any sort of money is a hard pill to swallow. Um, the sooner they get the transfer market in, into place with these MPL clubs, do start to earn some money, the better for everyone. Because th- this, is, this is crazy because you can't actually go out. There's players out there, but you spend years and years developing these young players and they just go for free. And the MPL clubs are bleeding as it is. The A-League's bleeding. I, I don't know where all this money... We need to start filtering money and then start going in cycles and turning around. And it goes, Spides, it goes hand in hand because if we, if we had a second tier and that was its professional name as it stood the now, we wouldn't be having the discussion about transfer system and training compensation because it, that, that also fast tracks all of that. So it all, you know, it all sort of like links together and the sooner we can get all those things done, then... Clubs are going to start to benefit, which, as you suggested, then money comes back into the football clubs and is allowed to trickle down through the system. Yeah. Let's uh, uh, move on to talk about a few other things around the world of Australian football. Um, Steve Keane has become Grant Brebner's new assistant at Melbourne Victory. I don't think Mel- Blackburn Rovers fans remember him too, too fondly. Is, is that a good move? He's clearly pretty experienced. Uh, he's uh, look. I've I've kind of known that's been on the cards for for a few weeks. Well, probably a little bit longer, in fact. But look, Stevie Keane, um, in terms of what he uh, can offer coaching wise, his experience. Uh, Brebs also has has worked with Stevie Keane previously at Reading. So there's there's a relationship there. Um, and look, he'll he'll come in and I think add um, a great deal to to Grant Brebner, who is is very young and inexperienced. Although he knows the game inside out, I think um, it's a good man to have beside him. Um, in terms of Perth Glory, uh, Spider, Andy Keogh is back again at uh, Glory. Uh, how does third stint for the Irishman with, with the club? How does Richard Garcia fit both him and Bruno Fornaroli into the same team, along with assuming that Diego Castro uh, does stay and Chris Economides gets back fit again? There is a little bit of talk that Bruno Fornaroli might be on his way um, due to the problems at the club, but obviously, ideally, you'd think that Garcia would want both. Yeah, 4-4-2, my son. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, but boys, where's D'Agostino? Yeah. Where's yeah. that? He's going to be he's one, of the, one of the wingers. Rolled in winger, son. Everyone's going to uh, play like Sydney FC now. Rolled in winger, mate. I've heard enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I mean, he's got his hands full, Garcia. Obviously, uh, he's got good choices there. It just depends what system he decides to play. And look, that's the front line. He's got to really work out defensively and midfield what he's going to do. And then he can obviously decide uh, how he wants to play. And, and there'll be competition for places in that front third. Um, Maury, Harry Kuehl having a bit of a thin time of things. He's yeah. uh, lost again at the weekend, 2-1 at home to Port Vale, diagnosed with COVID. Uh, his owner has gone through eight coaches in 33 months. Is he starting to get a little bit twitchy, Harry? Uh, or the he, owner, he's perhaps? His owner, his owner doesn't miss, let me tell you. But mm. no, nah, look, I've, <laughs> I've, spoken to, I've spoken to Harry a couple of times over the last few weeks and Pre pre COVID, um, he, he got a good result. Then um, when he when he'd got the COVID, they'd got a draw. They did get beat over over the weekend, but I think there's been um, 
a lot more positive signs for for Harry and and Oldham. So, uh, look, I, I I think he'll be given time. Okay, we certainly we hope so. <laughs> That's yeah. the case. Yeah. yeah. Um, in other A League transfer news, uh, good to see Oli Bazanic uh, back in the A League. He's signed or re-signed for the Central Coast Mariners. Uh, one going the other way, Jordan Murray has joined the Indian Exodus. So uh, good luck to him over there in the Indian Super League. And a cracking story uh, about uh, a youngster who was playing NPL4 for Fraser oh, Park, uh, a young Frenchman called Florian Indelizio, who was a junior at Saint-Étienne, clearly a, a youngster of immense talent. Uh, he played a couple of games for Fraser Park in NPL4 in New South Wales pre-COVID. And now, more he's, he's rocked up in the Premier League side for Newcastle United. That is some leap. Oh yeah, he's only he's only rocked up at Newcastle United in the in the Premiership, um, one of the biggest leagues, if not the biggest league in the world. So, oh, look, I think it's a, when when I seen that uh, Simon, I thought what a, what a great story. You know, I think it's a great story that um, you know a player that kind of you know come to Australia. Wasn't really looking at a career as such. Um, I think he was—he was a brickie, wasn't he? He's working yeah. as a brickie, and then, you know, had one or two games. I think only with Fraser Park, and and somehow managed to find himself uh, trialing in Newcastle United and securing a contract. So, ah, look, I mean, it's a great story, and also I think one that shows that um, doesn't matter what level you're playing at in Australia. Um, you know, if you're at a level and doing the right things, that there are opportunities. Sure are, and it's a brilliant story. We wish him all the very best with the tune. All right, uh, overseas we go. London Calling. London Calling. Yeah, we move to uh, England to start off with. And before we get uh, into the action on the pitch, a word on the remarkable work being done by Manchester United's Marcus Rashford and this uh, campaign Maury, for free school meals for kids living in poverty in the UK. You know, in an era when footballers get a lot of stick from being remote from their communities, he's proven it doesn't have to be that way. He's even getting praise on Merseyside, which is <laughs> some feat. Yeah. yeah, I love those kind of stories. Yeah. Is that it? <laughs> I, okay. I'm sorry, boys. I, I thought Maury was going to say something because I could see Maury's mouth about to say something. So I was going to let him keep talking. But you know what? He cops a lot of criticism, Rashford, for performances and blah, blah, blah. But you know what? When you see off-field, like these guys earn a lot of money and to, to see him go out of their way to help people in, in hard, hard conditions, hard circumstances... Uh, is just brilliant for all footballers. And we, we do see a lot of it. We probably don't talk about it as much as we should, to be honest. Yeah. On to a more tawdry note, Maury, after we discussed uh, Project Big Picture last week. Uh, news this week that the FA chairman, Greg Clark, was heavily involved in formulating a document advocating the introduction of Premier League B teams into the lower leagues and the creation of a Premier League 2. I have to say, I find this staggering at a time of a global pandemic with lower league clubs struggling to stay alive and the Premier League clubs to me just seem to be looking at this going here's an opportunity to grab more power and more money do you agree with that assessment yeah no look unfortunately I I do Simon I think through the 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 weakness that we we see in the um, you know the, the football pyramid at the moment clubs are uh, financially struggling and come Christmas time if still no crowds we'll see uh, and we'll be speaking about a lot more clubs that are that have hit the wall Uh, but all this talk about um, you know project big picture uh, it's all about it's all about the top six it's all about the top clubs it's all about control um, and power and and I I don't agree with it because I I'm a big fan of of Power being for the game, uh, and and if it suits everybody and financially works for everybody, not the top six, not the top five countries, for the whole of football, then no problem. Anything else, uh, then I've got an issue with it. Hmm. Do you reckon it's got something to do with the situation uh, we find ourselves with COVID, and these guys are probably saying, "Well, now's the time to get out of it in a way where it's not going to cost us as much, and we can make more in the long run." Well, I think what is clear is that it's it, it's about money. Uh, I know the Premier League clubs have long 
wanted this uh, B team idea as well. It's, I think it's being pushed by Fran Soriano, isn't it, at Manchester City? Uh, because that's how they do it in Spain. There's, you know, Real Madrid B, Barcelona B. Yeah, they all play in the lower leagues, um, and and they see that's the, the the way of of getting more experience for their younger players or their fringe team players at a better level of football, but without having to loan them out to other clubs. But um, for me, that will destroy the fabric of English football. The, you know, the whole romanticism of English football is that you have clubs like uh, a Wimbledon that were able to to make it through the leagues, and I think. Um, you know, to, to, to involve Premier League B teams would be uh, just against the grain in the UK. But we'll see what happens. Um, as an extension to that, uh, the FA urging Premier League clubs this week to accept its new system to block, in inverted commas, lower quality foreign players from being signed. This is, of course, in response to changes due to Brexit which mm. comes into operation at the end of January. Uh, the current entry requirements have to change as the transition period ends. Is, is this a good thing for Australian players and for young English talent or not, Maury? Well, the way, and correct me if I'm wrong, Simon, but the, the way I read this article was that certainly there were going to be more opportunities in terms of countries that didn't previously have access to the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, but they still were trying to to find a way that they can protect um, the the growth of their younger homegrown players. So you know, South America, which has already opened up, Africa, the, these kind of countries. Yes, there will be opportunities, Australia and the likes. But I read it as a, some more established age groups, um, and as long as they had that international experience, um, that you know that might open up a few few more doors, which. Um, England want to be the best league in the world, therefore they want to open themselves up to the rest of the world. Mm. Interesting situation. Um, in terms of the on-field action, uh, Spider, I guess the, the big story to come out of uh, the Premier League this weekend, apart from Everton losing their unbeaten record at, uh, at Southampton, and already no teams now on unbeaten records in the, in, uh, the Premier League, which is quite remarkable because we're only a few weeks in. But Manchester City dropping points again to West Ham United. Uh, I think it's seven points they dropped from the first five games. Uh, Pep Guardiola's got some problems here, hasn't he? He clearly needs to rebuild the squad. He's got a lot of injuries. And this is not something that Guardiola uh, is necessarily renowned for. He normally does a three-, four-year project and then, boom, he's on to the next one. But he's now into that sort of second phase at Manchester City. And uh, this is a big job for him. Look, what I see, and I don't want to harp on it again, but it's clear clear as day to me, is that they're playing way too many games. Now, if we remember, Man City finished last season off. I think they only had about 10 days off uh, and started pre-season. They've played matches every Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday. And at the end of the day, these players are only human. The tempo that Guardiola wants to play at, uh, the speed that Man City want to play at, I, I thought they were okay. They just seem to be missing that cutting edge at the moment, which I feel and what I see is they look a bit flat. They're tired. Yeah, it, it's as it, simple it, as that. I think it's in the. I think it's in terms of the uh, the mentality a little bit at the moment, Spides. And Simon, you, mate, you're a City fan. You've watched them good. You know they've been exceptional the last couple of years and. There are a couple of moments in the game where Man City at their best, you know, a ball coming to the back stick, Mahrez taking a sloppy touch where normally he just pops it back in for Sterling for a tap-in. Sterling, a couple of opportunities where he's true on goal late, um, you know, his touch wasn't the best. They still had opportunities to, to win this match, Spider. Yeah. Uh, and for me, they're still playing um, a style of football that we, we know as Manchester City. They just haven't been as clinical as what they previously have been in, in, in recent years, or the last couple of years. Well, have a look at all the teams, Maury, that are playing all these games. Like uh, Chelsea played Man U, for example. Yeah. Yeah. They both played big Champions League matches on Wednesday. They both played the week before. Players were away international week. Like, man, these guys are tired. You can look at it whichever way you want. The players get crucified for poor performances. But realistically, physically, mate, they are tired. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree, like I said. And, and, and with COVID and with restrictions and with training not being as normal um, from a certain period of time, uh, you know, that's why I think we're seeing the, the funny results this season throughout uh, leagues across across Europe. 
Talk about funny. What about a 13-0 victory away from home? <laughs> <laughs> That's Ajax against VVV Venlo in uh, the Dutch area division. Mate. That's outstanding. Mate, I heard a great comment. Someone put a great comment. Mate, that, that thing you said, that Twitter thing, that's gold. Mate, someone <laughs> said, hey, so someone put on a comment, uh, coach's speech at halftime. All right, boys, we're only down 4-0 at halftime. Let's go out and try to win the second half. They got beat by nine in the second half. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate. Brilliant. Hey, by the way, hey, Simon, the Manchester United-Chelsea game, I know it finishes 0-0. Um, VAR... Harry Maguire having Aspelaqueta in a headlock, not allowing him to jump. How's that not not a penalty? Well, it's because it's VAR, Maury. Need, need we say any more? You know, there is no rhyme or reason to it, which is why it doesn't work. Um, talking of VAR, should it have got involved last week? One thing we didn't cover last week: uh, Sergio Aguero putting his arm on the shoulder of Lionswoman uh, Sean Massielis. Uh, big big storm over there in the in the UK about this. Storm in a teacup for you or, or bang out? Well, can, I, can I be honest here, right? Um, I, I like to be honest. It's who I am. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Maury. We want to hear what you've got to say, bud. Guys, are we even talking about this if it was a, a, a male linesman? Uh, 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 like for me... The fact is, it wasn't, and I think that's the problem, isn't it? When we're talking about football now, I'm not talking about boys, I'm not talking about girls, I'm not talking about men, I'm not talking about... Football is everyone. Uh, it's, it's, it's one game, and I just think that, again, this is um, something that... Uh, storm in a teacup, I don't even know why it was a story. Okay. Yeah. I, I agree with Maury. She was Lysman. She, she was officiating. He... Spoke to her like he would to a bloke that was doing a linesman's job. Like, I mean, come on, man. We, we're, we're trying to create stories for no reason. And sometimes it's really irritating. Uh, and I'm glad nothing happened of it, to be honest with you. All right, let's finish off this segment um, by just moving to Spain momentarily. Um, interesting comments from Gerard Piquet this week, speaking out on the Messi situation ahead of El Clasico, which Barca lost by three goals to one to increase the, the, the problems of the new Camp. He said this, how can it be that the best ever player to have played the game, who we've been lucky enough to enjoy, wakes up one day and sends a bureau fax because he feels like he's not being listened to. It's all too confrontational. What's going on? Messi deserves everything. The new stadium should be named after him first and then the sponsor. It really gets to me. This is PK, who's still a player at Barcelona. I mean, Crazy. it just seems to me as though it's an utter chaos, Spider. Crazy. I, I, I can't believe that, like, forget that he's the greatest player. I mean, there's no individual player bigger than any club. And, mate, if we want to reel off some of the players that have played for Barcelona, like, seriously, and to think that another player is coming out... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. And allowed to say something like that, you actually see clearly that there are big troubles at Barcelona. And where the and where the power sits, Spider. Let's be honest. I mean, when you, yeah. you've got players that are coming out and speaking in that way about the club, um, we know the power that Messi has. Um, but also, uh, there's no fear from 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 PK to come out and say exactly what he mm. thinks either. You know, but he's done that before as well. So again, that's the that's the person that he is. You know what the funny thing is about this, right? So, so Messi, great player, unbelievable, says clearly he wants to leave Barcelona. Um, it doesn't eventuate. And to me, he's, he's acting like a child at the moment. Like a, it's like he's having a soup. But yet the club has been amazing to him and he's been amazing towards the club. Like why would you want to break something that was, that's built forever? And he's, just, he's going to be remembered for this year, this, this sort of like uh, baby attitude. 
Yeah, yeah. But you've seen it sometimes. You've been at a big club, a massive club in AC Milan. We sometimes we we see in terms of a player that um, that that isn't happy. Maybe it's come to the end of the road. The partnership is is is, is a breaking point, and we know how people can try and press buttons to to get that exit strategy. So I think there's a little bit of that in this as well. Me, yeah, De- definitely, Maury, hundred percent. And it, it didn't fall his way this year. Uh, will it happen in December? I, I don't know. I just. I don't like to see great players like him get involved with stuff like that, especially being a legend at the club that he is. Uh, that that it's sad, sad for me. I think that's the word, isn't it? It's just a sad ending to what has been a, a wonderful love story, really, between Messi and Barcelona. Let's see if they can uh, patch things up. Go um, on, Maury, final comment. Mate, final comment. Um, I was very nervous today um, watching a result coming in through. Uh, you know, through the, the telephone there. Kevin Musket, St. Trelden, got a huge result today. 2-0 at home to Standard Liège. He's been under uh, a bit of pressure with the results not not going. Um, but I'll tell you what, that was a massive result and we need our Aussies to be doing well. So, well done, Kevin Musket. Yeah, yeah top result. I actually, I was following it uh, religiously, Maurik, because I, I heard, I knew Standard played a match during the week in the, in the yes. Europa Cup. Against who? Rangers. Hey, Rangers. Against Rangers. So Rangers weakened them up for him. Rangers helped him. And uh, it was a great result. Really great result from Muskie. And I'll tell you what, he'd be having a few pilchers tonight to, to ease the nerves. Congratulations to Kevin Muskie. Let's hope he can keep it up and they can avoid the drops and trail down. So uh, let's move on to our final segment today. And we've got another terrific guest to tell us all about his life in football. Footballers' Lives. Well, our guest today was born in Adelaide in 1970 and was part of the all-conquering Adelaide City team in the mid-90s, winning two NSL titles. He moved overseas in 1995 with Nac Breda, spending two years in Holland before a five-year spell with Rangers, where he won two Scottish titles. Further spells followed in England with Middlesbrough and then in Wales with Cardiff before one season back at Breda. And he returned home in 2006 to play out his career with the Central Coast Mariners and he won 76 caps for his country. He currently works with the Australian national teams as a coach. It's a big podcast. Welcome to Tony Vidmar. How are you, Viddy? One of the good guys. Viddy, welcome. Thanks, Maury. Thanks, Simon. What about me, buds? Hey, big jobs. <laughs> hey, <laughs> the best serious, question, serious question before we even start, mate. What time is tea off today and what's your handicap? <laughs> 10.27 on the west and my <laughs> handicap is four. <laughs> oh, look at that. What a burglar, mate. <laughs> you are a bandit on the golf course, apparently, uh, Viddy. Uh, let, let's let's I'm, go right I'm back. Losing, I'm losing my money. I'm losing my money with a low handicap. I need to uh, stretch it out again. <laughs> Um, Vinny, let's let's go right back to the beginning. Uh, growing up in Adelaide with brother Aurelio, of course, uh, football obviously a big part of your life. Was that always the case? You, you come from a football family, say Italian heritage. Um, well, both both parents weren't um, sporty in in a way, um, and I think I kind of followed. Uh, Aurelio in, in that direction and we have a, an, an older brother who played uh, through school played AFL but kind of um, gravitated to uh, to soccer uh, back then uh, and probably a number of friends who I hang out with played played soccer so it kind of just gravitated to that uh, with no real you know, inkling of what uh, eventually was going to happen. When you when you signed for Adelaide City and and then were a, a part as a, as a younger player of that wonderful team in the mid nineties under Soren Matic, um, what are your memories of those times? Because you, you played with some real legends of the game: Sergio Melton, Milan Ivanovic, Alex Tobin, Damian Mori, Karl Viet, Joe Mullen, Goran Lozanovsky. Uh, I mean, you, you, it, they, the names just trip off the tongue. Yeah, they do, and. Um... I think in that uh, that period, it was uh, mid to late uh, late eighties, uh, and Ad- Adelaide City was a club which uh, I think was struggling financially. So, 
we couldn't uh, really go out and, and sign players, uh, just stuck with local players. And, um, and Zoran did an unbelievable um, thing with that uh, group of players, uh, able to, um, to get to play good football, get good results. And, um, you know, he, and that was his main thing was to um, entertain the, um, the crowd, entertain the spectators. He, he said that's what we were there for, to, uh, to entertain them. And, um, Sorry, go on. Yeah, so it was uh, it was tough. It was tough because Zoran was uh, was a tough uh, tough coach, but honest and fair. Uh, and I think uh, a lot of players uh, respected him in, in in what he did. Memories of those two grand final wins. Uh, well, probably the one where uh, Damien Murray hit that uh, th- the thunderbolt from uh, from thirty or even further. Uh, against Melbourne Knights, but the the funny thing was the day before we trained on a Olympic Park in the afternoon, and uh, we're you know running around and, and passing and, and doing the, the usual stuff day before, um, and then Damien Murray says, "Ah, would you believe it? A bird shed on my my boot." <laughs> <laughs> we're like, oh, that's good. Oh, that's good luck. We're like, that's good luck. You're gonna you know it's gonna be good tomorrow, and you know next day he's gone and, and scored a bomb. So uh, <laughs> the frogger. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, did he, you moved overseas at 24 uh, alongside a, a certain Graham Arnold to Nak Breda. Uh, I think it's like our ambassador came the season after. Um, you're obviously ready to go. What was that experience like? Because you, you played against some great players. I was doing some research yesterday and saw you played a game against Ajax. Have a listen to this. You, you'll know this, but you're up against a team that included Edwin van der Sar, Danny Blintz, the two De Boers, Frank and Ronald, Winston Bogart, Patrick Clivert, Edgar Davids, Fanidi George and Kanu. It I was, was Omar there as well? Oh, then? I'm not sure. Was he? Was he yeah, he was. He yeah. was there as well. Yeah. Yeah. But he was on the other side of you, buds. He wasn't on the... <laughs> I had the fortunate or misfortune to be up against Finity George. Oh, he could and this guy was... Oh, he was he was he was a freak. He was a freak. He, you know, he'd received the ball. I was happy that he received the ball, you know, 10, 20 metres away from me. And he starts running at you and he's looking at you and he gives you one of those. He, he flicks it to the left <laughs> and you're like, you look that way and then you look and he's actually gone past you already. <laughs> well, the return. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was a good, uh, it was a good era in, in, in Dutch football. Fantastic was- players. You know, all the teams you played against were, uh, were were good players, but also they were mongrels as well. They were tough, um, and uh, learned so much uh, in in that two years. Uh, you know, not only how to play, you know, back four, back three, uh, and, and and against different uh, types of players. Vidi, we've had this discussion a, a few times, mate, in terms of what is the right time for a player to go, um, and how. Kind of each player, you've really got to judge on their their merits. You you went over a little bit older, um, but therefore, you, did you feel when you went that obviously you were set and that you were ready with the experience that you'd already had in Australia? Oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I think for me, uh, if I had went at a younger age, maybe I would have uh, struggled with it. Uh, I don't think at that stage I was ready, and I think having. Um, you know, I think it was five years. It was 150 NSL games yeah. before before I went overseas. Uh, you know, mid twenties. It was still a good age to uh, to go there, ready for football, ready for the demands of the back then how the football was. Uh, so the experience that I gained through that uh, was uh, was actually got me ready. And, and even times when I went over there, just always thought of what Zoran was telling me as a player individually. Uh, actually helped me uh, uh, through that. It's invaluable experience, Vidi. Hey, we, we've sat on the uh, sofas, on the recliners, and had this chat many a time. Where you know the players that you played with at Adelaide City at a young age really developed you. The old NSL really developed young players to actually get you ready for for your adventure overseas. Yeah, a hundred percent. I agree. It was. Uh, the players, the environment that you're in, the environment, the training environment. You know, for me, the training environment and the match environments are so important in your uh, in your in your development. And you had so many good players that you worked with, 
Uh, day in, day out, you had to train at 100%. You couldn't just rock up and think that, oh, yeah, I'm going to cruise through this. Uh, but then also the players, the teams that you played against back then, Marconi, South Melbourne, Sydney United, Melbourne Knights, they, mate, they, they were tough. And I, and I think that was a uh, uh, the best upbringing that uh, players in Australia could uh, get. Just that uh, constant um, weekend of, uh, you know, wanting to uh, get your win bonus because we didn't uh, have big high win bonuses. So, the you know, every time you won, uh, you won a game, that was, um, um, you know, money in the bank. But he, uh... hey, that, that, that's, one, that's one of those things that we miss, don't we? The win bonuses. <laughs> Vidi, you were ready for your next move in, in 1997. You, you went to Rangers, um, first season that Marco Negri had that amazing campaign. You had a certain Craig Moore alongside you as well. Uh, and the season after that, you, you actually won the treble under Dick Advocate and you were a, a regular in, in that team, which again was a galaxy of stars. Amoruso, Newman, Kanchelskis, Van Bronckhorst, Jory, uh, Jorg Alberts. Uh, was that the, the best team that you played in? Oh, yeah, at uh, at the club level, definitely by far. It was. Uh, I looked the uh, the first twelve months, and, and probably Maury would uh, say tell it how it is as a, as a young kid. How hard it was tough. You know, it was a tough uh, a tough twelve months for me to uh, to settle in. It took me probably twelve months to trying to work my way around there. You walk into the front door at uh, at uh, at Ibrox, and it's just overwhelming. It's just so the the prestige, the history of the club. Uh, and the demands of the club, you know, to win every game. Uh, and that was uh, tough and uh, you had to fight for your place uh, day in, day out. Uh, so that first 12 months was tough, but the, the second season um, helped helped that. Uh, and that uh, that season, that trouble season was uh, was unbelievable. The players are named, the players that you named, the football we played. Um, and, and as a group, I think as a group, and probably Maury will agree with us, that collectively it was, uh, it was a fantastic group. We all worked for each other and uh, uh, got on well. Vidi, mate, obviously we were, we were very, very lucky. That was a very, very talented uh, side. The, the year, I'm not sure what it was. You'll probably know better because you scored in the game, the qualifying game against, against Palmer. Um, and and it's, a, it's a goal that I see over and over and over again because it was a wonderful Team goal. Um, talk us through that night and that goal for you. Oh, look, uh, European uh, European nights at, at Ibrox was something special. Um, the whole the whole buzz, the whole atmosphere, fifty thousand people screaming at you, uh, supporting <laughs> you. It's good when they scream. They scream. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, well, what I can what I can recall was the ball was on the right hand side. I was playing as a left back. And uh, I think it was either Barry or Gio were switched the ball into into my path and just started running into the box. And uh, my initial my initial thought was to cross or sh- as as I was coming in because I was coming at speed and just saw a gap on the right hand side and thought you know I would cut in cut into that uh, and I did and just uh, saw Turan running at me and sure, sliding at me and <laughs> like, what team had yeah. And just just shuck it, just hit it, and uh, yeah, and uh, you know later on you just think that uh, you know the goalkeeper who you put it past uh, Buffon, what a career he's had. Um, you you can get one past him. So uh, yeah, look, it was uh, it was a fantastic night. We played out of our skins that night, but uh, two weeks later it was a different uh, it was a different uh, Palmer team who uh, who showed up. So and, and as you said, that uh, you know. Um, Buffon, Turam, Canavaro, um, Canavaro was there. Yes, uh, yes, yes, Fuzer, Diego, Diego Fuzer. So they had, they were a team as well. So um, it was, uh, yeah, it was a fantastic night, Simon. It was uh, uh, definitely up there. And to this day, people keep, uh, I think every anniversary, I always get messages from. Uh, from people around the world and, and range of supporters about uh, about the goal. So it's... Uh, it's we had a few nice Twitter thing. questions about that uh, that goal. You'll, you'll be pleased to hear they didn't miss. <laughs> um, in terms of those Champions League nights and the old firm games, um, they, they must be some of the, the real highlights of a footballer's career. Um, you're playing in those massive matches. 
Do you ever, when you're sort of lining up in the tunnel to play a game against Celtic or a Champions League game, do, do you ever sort of cast your mind back and think, blimey, this ain't bad for a, you know, a kid from South Australia? Uh, no, not at all. Not at all. I think I was, I was always kind of trying to get into my, uh, into my zone when we're in the tunnel. Uh, tried not to get uh, too too distracted. Try to stay focused on what uh, what I had to do, and and that's how that's how I operated. Uh, so uh, never really got into the the fanfare or the you know the players on the other side. You know, you had players you know shaking hands and and all that, but I wasn't interested in that. Uh, I just wanted to make sure that uh, I went out and and did the job for the uh, for the team. Business as usual. Um, you had three more years. Uh, Tony in the UK, uh, he went to Middlesbrough, playing alongside Mark Schwarzer and Luke Wilkshire and a certain Gareth Southgate, uh, and then Cardiff City to round off your days in the UK. Was that always your ambition to, to play in the English Premier League? Uh, and you did all right, by the way, in your 12 matches. You beat Liverpool and Man City in, uh, in a couple of those games as well. Man City, that wasn't much of a challenge for you back then. <laughs> it wasn't in those days. No, no, no. no. Look, at, uh, I had five years at five wonderful years at Rangers, and I uh, and I kind of felt that I just needed another uh, another challenge, um, and 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 the opportunity arose. You know, I wasn't I wasn't too too bothered where I was going to uh, to go, but uh, that opportunity presented itself, and thought, you know, fantastic. I you know I wanted to go and uh, and play in uh, play in the Premier League, but you know, for me, any league would have been good uh, in the you know the top top 10 leagues um, and just had that opportunity. And yeah, that, again, that was another bunch of uh, fantastic players to, uh, to be, uh, to be playing with. And again, at that stage, I was uh, um, 30, 32 uh, and still, still, still learning, still learning my football. Uh, and that's probably um, that season was um, uh, fantastic to, uh, to get under my belt. Vidi, you came home in 2006. Uh, you got to play in a grand final uh, back here in Australia with the Central Coast Mariners. Probably, I think it's safe to say, not, not the way you wanted your professional career to end in, in that final against uh, the Newcastle Jets. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, was I was trying to be diplomatic and, and, and not mention the fact that it was your error that turned the ball over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a total... Uh... Total stuff up from uh, for myself. Um, yeah, look, we had uh, we had a great uh, a great season, finishing top top in that uh, in that year, uh, and then reaching the final in a two legged playoff against Newcastle, and um, it was a nice nice way to uh, you know to to play Newcastle again in the final. And yeah, I uh, I stuffed up uh, for the goal. I actually turned switched off for about a split second, and. Uh, uh, I think it was Mark Bridge who uh, who caught me caught me out, and uh, the rest is history. And I was gutted. I was uh, you know disappointed, but more so for the group of that group of players because that actually done so well um, throughout the year. And there was a number of them who played in the final uh, a few years before that who uh, who missed out again. So um, you get to play in uh, in the final, uh, but to win it, uh, it doesn't happen that often. Um, and uh, yeah, it was. Uh, look, I was happy to uh, to come back to uh, to Australia and and finish my career. Um, and you know, um, and I look back on it, and uh, I had a had a fantastic time there as well. Great bunch of uh, boys who I uh, still keep in contact with, and um, and that's for me. That was a, a big part of it. Is that uh, relationship that you had with players all over the world. Vidi, national team stuff. I mean, you, you obviously you had a fantastic international career, uh, and and like, like myself and Spider, you experienced the uh, the roller coaster of what was the Australian football in terms of World Cup qualification. Um, I remember as a young lad watching. Um, was it your qualification against Argentina? Uh, you were involved, You yeah. were involved in in those two games. So. Talk us through a little bit uh, about your campaigns and, and un unfortunately, the health issue that, that keeps you out of the 2006 World Cup. Yeah, 93 was, uh, <laughs> was you know, you're, you're going to play against the, the fifth-placed South American team and you think it's probably maybe in Ecuador or Colombia and, <laughs> and then, lo and behold, it's bloody Argentina. And you just think, <laughs> Jesus Christ, we're just... 
we're just getting done over again, Australian football. And uh, it's like, okay, here we go. And, uh, um, you know, Sydney Football Stadium. Uh, and we actually played played well. Probably, in a way, unlucky to, uh, to only get a, a draw one all. Uh, we, yeah. we probably had uh, a numerous chain, uh, chances in that game to, uh, to, to get a result. Uh, but going into the, into the second leg was, uh, was tough into that environment um, and, and, and I think that's probably where we're a little bit naive and thinking that, you know, we can come into uh, someone else's country and uh, normally here in Australia, we're too nice and we roll out the red carpet and, and look after all the other teams and we probably felt that was going to happen to us and it didn't happen that way. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Why are we not surprised with that? <laughs> Uh, Tony, it, it all came good in, in 2005. Uh, you, you scored uh, that penalty uh, and qualified for the first time in 32 years. We'll come on to the, the downside in a moment. We do have a, a Twitter question, which is our Twitter question of the week. Uh, congratulations to Ong Tong Chun, who asks, um, why the left foot during the penalty shootout against Uruguay? Ong, you will win $100 Outback Steakhouse voucher. We'll get that to you very soon. Tony, why did you take it with your left foot? Uh, well, that's a uh, very good question, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> that's well, what we asked it to. Naturally, naturally a right footer. Um, played probably all my career on the left-hand side of whether it was a midfield or, or, or defence. And um, it came probably the day before when we had to um, hit and got us each player to take take a penalty. Um, up against, uh, I can't remember if I was against Schwartz or, or Spider. I can't, uh, I can't remember. A spider, you would have scored. <laughs> then it was Spider. Then it was Spider. <laughs> it was, hey, listen, that that day was all about confidenza. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. <laughs> so it just, yeah. So that day before, just picked up. You know, I said I'll do it. Take it with my left and. Slotted it, slotted it pretty much in the same spot as I did the night uh, the night after, uh, and just felt that in in pass I have taken you know penalties in training and with my left foot I'm actually much more uh, precise and with enough power that I can get it in those corners rather than my right, which sounds totally weird. And my right is my natural Strange. right. Yeah. Yeah. Strange because we've had that conversation. We end up. What's what's your stronger foot? Your 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 so-called yeah. weaker foot become your stronger foot. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, and uh, through being you know a young kid, kept practicing on my left foot. Kept practicing on my left foot. Uh, and still you're still working on your right. But then all of a sudden the left foot becomes becomes more dominant. Um. So I felt that for that you know penalty spot uh, area that I could actually get the spot. Um, I was confident that I could take it with my right, but felt that I probably wouldn't have enough power to get it past, uh, past the keeper because if the keeper had to save it, he'd had to be a, a great save for him to, uh, to get his hands on it. Well, it was, it was a terrific penalty uh, that he passed Fabian Carini. From that uh, exhilarating high, of course, came the crushing low. Um, now, I was at the press conference the, the day that you announced that you wouldn't be able to go to the World Cup because of you'd been diagnosed with uh, a heart problem, which uh, was obviously subsequently treated. I, I, I think that was one of the, the toughest press conferences I've ever attended because you, you obviously got very emotional on the day, un, totally understandably. Um, and there was just uh, a silence in that press room that day. I think everybody felt so desperately sorry for you because you'd played in so many of those campaigns. You'd earned your place to go to a World Cup and it wasn't going to happen for you through no fault of your own. How, how difficult was that, not just as a, as a footballer, but as a, as a life moment to have to be able to, to, to be dealing with that? Yeah, it wasn't, um, it wasn't easy. Um, Especially once I found that uh, I was diagnosed with uh, uh, with a blood clot in the in, in the artery, uh, I remember calling Les Gellis straight after because he was really the only one that knew about it. Um, uh, Hitting didn't know anything about it. Arnie didn't know anything about it. So we we, we try to keep keep it quiet. And then <laughs> when I was on the phone call to Les, I said, Les, it's no good, mate. I'm I'm done. I can't play anymore. And Les is like, Ah, shut up, Tony. 
just tell me what's, you know, just what's happening. And I, and I was kind of like laughing as well. And I said, listen, it's done. They told me I can't play anymore. <laughs> so then it's, yeah, you, you, you're in denial for such, I was in denial for such a long time thinking, yeah, they, they've got it wrong. It's all wrong. It, it can't be. Um, and then having to, I went to uh, London and then came to, um, to Melbourne to see specialists. Uh, and they pretty much did the same thing as the first cardiologist. So that kind of like said, okay, well, that's, that's it. Um, and, and as you know, you look on, you think, imagine if, uh, you know, at that stage I was fortunate to get tested then, or if I kept continuing on what, what damage, you know, what damage could have, uh, it could have happened, not only for myself, but for my family, you know, if, if I wasn't to, to be here. So you kind of put things into perspective that, I look, I look back on it, Simon, and I think, you know what, maybe it was just all of, for my football career, maybe it was just all about the qualification, mm. just trying to get that qualification and, and, and not being able to, uh, to go to, the, uh, to a major tournament. Vinny, can I just ask a quick question? Did you watch the games in 06 or was it too difficult for you to watch? No, I came. Uh, I was in the, um, in the family hotel, so the FFA put me into the, um, to the family hotel, so I was uh, there at the games, but that's... First, that first game against Japan, when the national anthem uh, was um, was being played, then that's that's when it uh, sunk in even more. So that was uh, that was difficult. But man, I had a great time there. Um, oh. It was fantastic. Got to uh, catch up with the uh, with the players a few times. Came into the hotel, which was uh, uh, which was good. And the one thing that even before when the boys were in Melbourne for their uh, little pre-season uh, and the game was that so that the players were so supportive and, uh, you know, they were uh, the best bunch of guys that I've, I've played with and uh, fantastic uh, people. And um, yeah, that was, uh, that made it even more special with the guys, Maury and uh, yeah. Spider, Popper, uh, you know, Bresh, Vinny, Dukes, uh, Johnny, oh, so... Mate, they were, they were good, it was a good time, but it was a sad time, Vidi. And before Spider, because uh, he, he, he loved his questions at the end, he's got a couple of great questions that he hits every guest with. Uh, but, mate, you won't say it, but I was extremely disappointed at that particular time, if I'm being honest. Uh, mate, I'd known you, I'd grown really close to you, uh, obviously with our time at Rangers. And um, I felt that they give you a sighting in terms of early doors, in terms of what we were doing, but I would have loved to have seen um, the FFA have you more involved in that particular tournament. Um, that was disappointing for me uh, because you were somebody that had given so much to the national team um, and somebody that still to this day, mate, that I call um, a very, very great friend. But Spider, yeah. Spider, you've got to crack a couple of questions. I've got to ask you the solid questions, mate. The best stadium you've ever played at and the biggest dungeon you've ever played at. <laughs> Oh, the best stadium I've played at is uh, definitely the New Camp. Yeah, that was with the uh, with the Ollie Roos team. We were fortunate enough to, enough to play two games uh, there through that uh, '92 period. But that was uh, a stadium. You know, it was sixty thousand, and uh, it was fantastic. It was a carpet, uh, and just the you know, just being there was uh, was unbelievable. Is it as big as what it looks? Massive, massive. Yeah. Did he, yeah, Paul, uh, Paul Christmas on Facebook asked, uh, how was it in Iran in the 98 World Cup qualifying playoff? What about the Azadi is the best ever? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, that was probably one of my dungeons, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to put, I was going to put that in the dungeon with the uh, Galatasaray Stadium. Oh, the old Galatasaray yes. Stadium? Yeah. The stadium oh. of hell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That was, oh my God, I've never seen anything like that. But uh, Iran, yeah, they're definitely two stadiums. I, oh, they were horrible. Oh, <laughs> that's gold. Vinny, <laughs> um, we, we could talk for probably about another hour and a half, but unfortunately, yeah, the clock has beaten us. Uh, one final comment. Yeah. And, and I've got a tea time. And I've got a tea time. <laughs> One final comment, which inevitably had to come from Scotland. This, this is from Alan Swain. Tony, are you aware of anyone having a tattoo of your name on them? I presume that means that Alan's got one of your... Of your <laughs> <laughs> it just, he That's a worry, Alan. Alan yes. from Scotland. 
I don't know anyone, Alan, from Scotland. Sorry. <laughs> well, there you go. He's got your name on his body somewhere. I hope it's his back. Um, Vinny, great to talk to you, mate. Uh, enjoy your golf today. Thanks so much for uh, reminiscing. And, uh, yeah, good luck with your, with your coaching gigs uh, going forward. Yeah, good cheers, on you, uh, big chops. Cheers, Cheers, Spides. Good luck, Spides, as well this summer, this season. Thanks, Mate, son. That three iron, that three iron, does it still go miles? Yeah, it's a four iron, son. Ah, four iron. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Billy. And that is us for this week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you the same time, same place next week. Until then, it's bye for now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.